Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 13 Getting rocks out of the prison Marla's speaker had created was no easy task. The only tool they had that could have cut through the roots was Rox's razor, and Baz thought it just as likely that they'd injure themselves with it as free rocks. Besides, it was trapped along with the rest of rocks, so instead they had to resort to spells. You, uh, stand over there, Bastion, Deliritus said, pointing to a spot nearly on the other side of the clearing. Deliritus sat propped against his book pack, which thankfully neither Hellar nor Marla had thought to steal in their haste to escape from the dragon Deliritus had invented. Baz wanted to yell at Deliritus for being a fool. From that distance, he'd practically have to shout in order for Baz to hear. But Deliritus had agreed, however tentatively, to Baz's proposal, and Baz wasn't about to push his luck. Complete the trials for me? Deliritus had murmured. He looked away from Baz, tracing a finger through the grass as if searching for something. Why would you do that? He'd finally asked, still not looking at Baz. Baz glared at him. Marlow is right about one thing. Don't be so dramatic. The only reason I'd even consider it is if you swear you won't blow me into your father, or anyone else for that matter, once we return to Erstwhile. I could be executed for hiding a cuss, Deliritus said, face still angled toward the ground, voice low. Baz shrugged. What's life going to be like if you return to Erstwhile empty-handed, not even having reached Hamlet? Deliritus glowered up at him, but had no immediate reply. Finally, he said through clenched teeth, You'd have to agree to never read again. What about during the trials? Baz asked. Deliritus chewed on his bottom lip for a minute. You can read, but only with my permission, or in an emergency. Then, never again, once you return to erstwhile. Fine, Baz said. Seeing as how it was grounds for execution to merely be seen with a book, Baz didn't see how he'd get away with any reading once he returned to erstwhile anyway. But you'll have to turn rocks over to me for the duration of the trials. What? Baz looked up to the sky in exasperation. You expect me to travel to Tome all by myself? Deliritus opened his mouth in what appeared to be an objection, but then he shut it again. Rubbing a hand over the back of his neck, he looked to rocks. What do you think? The harbor was staring augers at Baz. My oath is yours to transfer, rocks boomed, but I dislike the idea of leaving your side. Deliritus ran a hand through his hair. He studied Rox for several moments more, 
then looked back to Baz and stuck out a hand. I'll transfer rocks to you once you find a safe location to leave me for the duration of your journey. Baz had stared at Deliritus's hand for some time, still not quite believing what he was about to do. Fine, he'd finally said, and grasped Deliritus's hand for the briefest of moments. As Baz reached the spot Deliritus had indicated, the torchsire air shifted his body so that there was no possibility of Baz seeing the page to which he opened the book he'd removed from his pack as if Baz could see any of the words from such a distance anyway, but he kept his mouth shut. Let Deliritus think him more powerful than he really was. Baz's feet were inches from the boiling pot, his hair already singed by the flaming oven of risk he'd opened. He needed every little advantage he could get. They used very weak fire spells, just enough to warm the roots enough to weaken them. Even so, and even with the damage Baz had inadvertently done to the roots with the spell he'd cast to melt Arrow, they burned rocks several times before he was able to muscle his way out. By the time they'd finished, it was well past noon. For a few minutes after the harbor was free, Baz worried that Deliritus might have a change of heart and order rocks to kill him, or at least put his eyes out as he'd done to tax. But Baz had hit on the one thing that scared Deliritus more than a literate speaker, and that was letting his father down. Baz felt a little grungy taking advantage of that. Not bad enough to stop, though. Not when the alternative might be a quick trip back to erstwhile and a permanent cessation of breathing. Traveling would have been futile that day. Even a brute like rocks stiffened up after being stuck in one position for half a day. And even if rocks could have traveled, by the time they'd broken down the camp and gotten the horses ready, the sun would have been setting. And there was no real need to rush. So long as they returned to erstwhile within the two-month time frame, the trials weren't a race. If anything, it would be good to put some distance between them and the other two readers. Let them think no one was following. With rocks freed, the priority became Deliritus's leg. No bone had broken through the skin, but his leg was dark with crushed blood vessels and swollen to double what was normal. Rox fashioned a long tree branch into a makeshift splint and secured it as best he could with lengths of rope. It was a shoddy job, and they all knew it, but none of them had any serious medical training. Deliritus had intended to bring Delida so she could heal any maladies that might befall him, so there'd been little reason to worry over learning field medicine. Once his leg was set as well as could be managed, Baz set about gathering wood for a fire, which they ultimately started with Deliritus reading a simple fire spell to Baz. He made Baz stand two dozen paces away and gave great emphasis to the stop rune, making sure Baz wouldn't be able to use the spell again after it was spoken. They sat around the fire in silence, gnawing on dried meat. It stuck in Baz's teeth and was far too salty. The rock he sat on wasn't very comfortable either. He actually found himself missing his pallet in the torch sire basement. So you're really going to do it? Baz looked up, surprised that Deliritus had spoken. He was on the ground, back against a rock, 
with his injured leg stretched out away from the fire. Rocks loomed silent behind him, razor extended and resting on one shoulder, as if ready for Helar and Marla to come bursting from the trees at any moment. Do what? Baz asked. The trials. You'll complete them? Try, anyway? Baz looked back down to the dirt between his feet. He'd been sketching idly with a stick and realized he'd drawn the first few characters of the fire spell delirious to sad red earlier to start the fire. Grimacing, he wiped them out with his foot. I don't have much of a choice, <laughs> Deliritus laughed. You could have just left. I wouldn't have been able to stop you. You could have left both of us helpless. Deliritus glanced over his shoulder to include Brox in his comment. Baz lifted a shoulder and let it fall. I'm no woodsman. Likely, running off on my own into the wilds would be about as safe as going to your father and telling him I can read. My young bastion, Deliritus shook his head, still chuckling. That's like comparing a fist fight to a duel with General Hidden Vanjo, the greatest blade master of our generation. The road to Tome is far more dangerous than the wilds between erstwhile and fortune. Baz threw the stick he'd been sketching with to the ground, glaring at Deliritus. Are you trying to talk me out of this? Not at all, Deliritus said. Just trying to understand. I've spent my whole life learning how dangerous it is to allow a speaker to become a cuss. Yet, I've met two in my life. One's given me ten years' worth of regret, wondering if I handled him right, and the other is helping me. Deliritus's generally aloof tone was entirely absent, replaced by thoughtful consideration. It made Baz uncomfortable, thinking there might be anything to Deliritus other than an entitled young man in a position of power. I'm not doing it for you. We're bartering here, Deliritus. You remember that. I come back with a book that wins you the trials. You don't tell anyone I can read. That's it. The major hole in that plan was, of course, that as soon as Baz turned that book over to Deliritus, any leverage he had to hold him to his word would be gone. But one problem at a time. An unlikely number of things would need to go right before Baz needed to expend any energy at all worrying over that. Yes, Deliritus said, staring into the campfire. That's it. He sounded so... disappointed? For some reason, that made Baz angry, which seemed stupid, which made him angrier still. Cursed Deliritus for a book burner. He drove Baz crazy by merely breathing. Maybe we should get some sleep now? Baz grated out, barely keeping his anger in check. A fine idea, Deliritus said, some of his usual, too upbeat tone returning. See you in the morning. Baz didn't respond, lying down on the ground beside his rock and curling into a ball, pulling Liana's cloak tight about him. The nerve of Deliritus even thinking that Baz was doing this to help him. Deliritus could rot for all he cared, just so long as Baz kept his life and his eyes, that's all he cared about. Absolutely. That was all. He didn't sleep well that night, plagued with dreams of Marla's sinister eyes 
and the voices he'd heard when he'd spoken that spell of shadow. Had he just imagined them? Were the stories actually true, that the dark power of such spells drove one mad? He tossed all night, worrying that he might wake to find he'd lost his mind. Perhaps it happened already. After all, he'd agreed to help Deliritus. They woke early and set out with the sun only just above the horizon. The first order of business was to figure out what Deliritus would do while Baz was off trying to complete the trials. He obviously couldn't go back to erstwhile, but neither could they just leave him out in the wilds to fend for himself. In the end, there had only been one real option. I don't like this one bit, Bastion, Deliritus said, for what must have been the twentieth time since they'd started riding. Deliritus's splinted leg jutted out from the side of his horse like some wild strand of hair that just wouldn't lie flat. After the initial ordeal of getting him into the saddle, Deliritus had managed to sit his horse fairly well for a time. He'd gone so far as to say he felt good enough to ride all the way to Tome, and once again for a brief time Baz had worried that Deliritus might back out of their agreement. But within half a mile his face was gray from the pain that each step of his horse sent shooting through his injured limb. He'd vomited at least once, and nearly fallen from the saddle half a dozen times. Rocks rode along beside him, eyeing him like a hawk for any sign he might be nearing another fall. "'If either of you have a better idea, I'm happy to listen,' Baz said. "'Trust me, I don't like the idea of people thinking you're me any more than you do.' Deliritus made as if to retort, then clamped a hand over his mouth, face turning from gray to green. After the lack of sleep and multiple brushes with death, Baz wasn't feeling so great himself and quickly looked away. The plan was simple, really. Hamlet was a small town situated at the Great Road's fork, creating two potential paths to Tome, one north through the Emerald Woods, the other west through the Reach. They'd leave Deliritus there, telling the townsfolk he was Baz's speaker. It was less than a day away, reachable by nightfall. Of course, and Baz couldn't believe his life had come to this, the plan also necessitated that Baz pretend to be Deliritus. The thought made his skin prickle, but he thought he could manage, just act clueless and treat everyone he met as if they were below him. It was Deliritus who Baz was worried about, could he subdue his attitude of self-entitlement for long enough that the townsfolk would actually believe he was a slave? You know, Bastion, Deliritus said, apparently having remastered his stomach, at least temporarily, it's not as if pretending to be you will be that difficult. I just need to glower at everything and act as if I know more than I ought to. The urge to slap Deliritus flared in the muscles of Baz's arm once more. He pulled Deliritus's burgundy cloak more tightly about him and did his best to ignore the Torchshire heir's moans of pain as they rode on. It had galled Baz to part with the cloak Liana had given him. For one, Deliritus's cloak didn't have a hood. Apparently even readers didn't get everything. 
but it wouldn't do for him to ride into a town claiming to be a reader while wearing the black robe of a speaker. His disguise already lacked a hat, Deliritus's having been ruined during Marla's and Hellar's hasty withdrawal. That raised a related concern, namely the brand on Baz's forehead and the lack of one on Deliritus's. Baz had wrapped a bandage around his head, finding some tree sap to rub on it that made a decent enough imitation of a bloodstain. He'd an idea for a more permanent solution, though, once they reached Hamlet. He'd also thought of a solution for Deliritus, though Baz was certain the heir wouldn't care for it, and he delayed putting voice to it for as long as he could. But when smoke from the chimneys of Hamlet became visible in the early evening sky, there was no more time for waiting. Stop a minute, Baz said, reining in his horse. He pulled a bit too hard, and his mount lurched to a sudden halt. Baz had to squeeze his legs against the horse's sides to remain upright, which reminded him of the saddle sores that had formed there over the past week. That removed some of the tact from his tone. If you're going to be a speaker, Deliritus, then we'll have to explain your lack of a brand. Hmm, what? Deliritus had been in half a doze, but now he jerked upright, crying out in pain as he did. After taking a deep breath, he focused on Baz. Oh, right on, young Bastion. I've been giving that some thought myself. It'd seem easiest if we just tell them that Torchsire doesn't brand its speakers. It's a progressive movement, I've heard, that's actually being adopted by some libraries in Fortune. I doubt these townsfolk will know any better. Baz pursed his lips and turned his eyes to rocks. Rocks, what do you think? Do those words um, mean what they mean? Rocks shook his giant skull. No, the lie in those words is like the pungent flesh of a weak old kill. Uh, right. Uh, what I think he means, Deliritus, is that erstwhile's libraries send a reader and speaker to Hamlet twice a year to provide for their needs. They'll know that a speaker is supposed to be branded. Deliritus frowned. Well, then just give me a bandage like the one you made up. Baz shook his head. You might be here for a month. At some point, they'd insist on changing it, and they'd see. Deliritus furrowed his brow. Remember what I said earlier about how you act like you know more than you should? You're doing it now. If you have an idea, just tell me, and I'll be happy to consider it. You'd be happy to consider it, eh? Well, Baz said, the only sensible explanation I can think of is that you had a brand, but lost it in the same accident that broke your leg. Deliritus laughed. A nice story, I'm sure, except that I didn't... Deliritus's words trailed off as he noticed Baz looking at rocks. You know, rocks, Baz said, shrugging. I think this is in the interest of keeping Deliritus safe. The harbor considered Baz with his stony gaze, then turned it upon a wide-eyed Deliritus. Truth in those words, I think. Deliritus tried to flinch away from rocks, but rocks was already right beside him, and any sudden movement would have sent coursing pain through his injured leg, 
not to mention likely throw him from the saddle. Rox grabbed Deliritus easily with one hand, his belt knife in the other. It was over in an instant, Baz moving like a surgeon, Deliritus's screams of protest and pain lasted longer. They rode into Hamlet an hour or so later, a small smile of satisfaction still on Baz's lips. Deliritus looked absolutely dreadful, a bloody bandage wrapped around his freshly sliced forehead, skin the color of last night's campfire, and splinted leg jutting off his horse's side. Apparently, though, his pride hurt more than his body, as he was managing to stay upright in his saddle. Calling Hamlet a town was generous. It was more a series of buildings scattered between the fork in the road and a few muddy paths that were more broad alleys than streets. The remains of older buildings were strewn about it for about a mile radius, relics of an older age when the road to Tome had been oft-traveled before the burning. Now Hamlet was just ill-constructed wood houses and a few shops, centered around an inn with a stone fountain out front. Its only reason for continued existence was that it served as a way station between erstwhile and Enigma, far to the north in the icy heights. But such journeys were infrequent. Even with its rich natural resources and penchant for producing dangerous brutes like rocks, Enigma was high in the mountains, freezing and desolate. Still, Baz saw what he was looking for almost immediately amongst dilapidated buildings. He stopped the horses in front of a structure that was slightly less rickety than most of the others. Deliritus, you wait here. Rocks, I suppose you ought to come with me to keep up appearances. The harbor looked to Deliritus. Oh, just do as he says, Rocks. You did so earlier without consulting me. It was difficult to tell in the gloaming, but had Rox's cheeks reddened? Regardless, he dismounted and followed Baz into the building. The shop was smaller than it appeared on the outside, and Baz told Rox to wait by the door for fear his wide shoulders would knock merchandise from the shelves. The storekeeper stood behind a counter polishing a pair of brass candlesticks when Baz entered. He eyed Rox first, giving him a sour purse of the lips, then turned an equally skeptical gaze upon Baz. Not exactly the reception he'd been expecting. Baz tried to stand a bit taller and turned slightly to ensure the man could see the sigil on his cloak. Fair shopkeeper, it is I, Deliritus Torchsire, reader of erstwhile, come to grace your shop with my presence. The man squinted one eye at him, not speaking for several moments, during which time Baz began to feel increasingly the fool. Had that been a little too much? I can see your sigil well enough, reader, he finally said, voice just as abrasive as his dubious stare. What do you want? For a moment, Baz thought his pride was hurt. Then he quickly realized it was his own actions that offended him. What was he thinking? Read a spell and put on Deliritus's cloak, and suddenly he expected to be treated like any old pompous reader? He cleared his throat and tried to speak in a more ordinary tone. 
Uh, I'm looking for a hat, good shopkeeper. A hat? The skepticism in the man's tone made it seem as if Baz had just asked him for a spoken book or something equally as impossible. The shopkeeper eyed the bandage wrapped around Baz's forehead, and he subconsciously began adjusting it before yanking his hands back to his sides and glaring at the shopkeeper. He was, after all, supposed to be acting like a reader, and no reader Baz had ever seen would accept treatment like this from an illit. Yes, sir, a hat. Do you have one, or should I take my coin elsewhere? That replaced the glare on the man's face with a grimace. The worst sound a merchant can hear is that of a purse leaving his store unopened. Apologies, reader. Just that, the last time a reader was in town, he charged me triple the ordinary rate to fix a few pocket chronometers and oil a few hinges. Two months later, the watches lose 30 minutes a day and more importantly lay unsold in my back room, and the doors squeak so loud I fear the dark ones will hear and curse my humble store. Ah, Baz said. He could, after all, relate to such poor treatment. Well, I assure you a torch sire would never do such a thing. It was a good kind of lie. Likely, given the opportunity, the Duke would perform shoddy work if the profit were good enough. But since Torchsire lacked the resources to actually send a reader and speaker to Hamlet, there was no way this man could ever have met one. I'm sure, sir, the shopkeeper said. Now, a hat, you said? Hmm. He looked around his store, then began rummaging beneath the counter. He continued to speak while he was out of sight, voice muffled. Nothing that befits your high station, of course, but... He popped back up, a hat in hand. It was dark brown leather, creased and well-worn with a wide brim. If you're just looking for something to keep the sun out of your eyes, then this is just the ticket, I'd say. Sun out of his eyes or eyes off his forehead? Baz tried to keep the smile from his face. All those cold days with a bare head, and now he was finally about to have a hat. How much? he asked, voice definitely too eager. The storekeeper grinned, though he quickly sobered as his eyes turned to Rox, who stood like a statue in the doorway. One gilt five, he said. Baz considered. He'd never given money much thought, seeing as how he'd never actually had any to call his own. But Deliritus had given him coin various times to pick up packages from the market. Baz seemed to remember turning over fifteen or so bits recently for a new set of clothes for Deliritus, which was comparable to what the shopkeeper was asking. Lies, Rox rumbled. Baz glanced to Rox, then cocked an eyebrow toward the shopkeeper. Trying to swindle me, eh? The man threw his hands up in the air palms outward. Swindle? Not me, sir. Just times is hard, and I... He swallowed as his eyes fell back upon rocks, who'd crossed his arms over his chest. I could go one guilt even. Rocks opened his mouth once more, but Baz cut him off. Rocks, give him the one in five. Maybe that will make up for the swindling that he suffered at the hands of other readers. For a moment, 
Baz thought Rox was going to argue, but then the harbor nodded. Hmm, true enough. He reached into the money purse at his belt, Deliritus had entrusted the money to him, and placed the coins on the counter in front of the shopkeeper. The man's eyes widened. Why, uh, thank you, reader, Torchsire. He actually sounded genuinely appreciative. Baz shrugged. What did he care? It wasn't his money. Baz took the hat and turned to go, but before he reached the exit, the shopkeeper spoke again. I er, wasn't going to say anything, sir, but, well, that reason I mentioned earlier wasn't truly why I was sour when you came in. Baz stopped and turned back around. <laughs> My good shopkeeper, you ought to learn when you're ahead and keep silent. Oh no, said the shopkeeper, chagrin painting his expression. I wasn't lying. I really was swindled by a reader months back. Your words, not mine, mind. Swindled. But the reason I was skeptical just now was because another reader was in my shop just yesterday. Two of them, in fact, though only one, spoke to me. She was, well, not nearly as respectful as yourself, reader Torchsire. The man smiled down at the coins on his counter. At the mention of other readers, Bez's heart had stopped. They're not still here, are they? Eh? The other readers, are they still in Hamlet? Oh, why no, you missed them. Left this morning. Think the lady said she was going through the Emerald Woods, and the young lad was going west, through the Reach. I don't know why they wouldn't just stick together. The Reach and beyond are nasty lands, but what do I know? Baz blew out a sigh of relief. At least that part of his plan had worked, putting distance between them and Marla and Hellar. Well, what did she say that upset you so much that you doubt a fine man like myself? That had been perhaps a bit too much, and the shopkeeper pursed his lips for a moment. Baz gave the man what he hoped seemed a more genuine smile and motioned for him to continue. Well, the shopkeeper said, rubbing his hands together nervously. From what I could tell, she was going around to all the shops in town, asking if anyone had seen a speaker from Torchsire. Said he'd, um, lost his way, though, to be frank with you, I didn't care for how she was saying it, more demanding than asking. But she was offering good coin for information, and said she'd be back this way in about a month's time or so to ask around again. The shopkeeper looked over Baz's shoulder. Rox still blocked most of the door, but the shopkeeper could see enough to tell there was a third person outside. Seems your speaker is all right then, reader Torchsire. Baz looked over his shoulder hoping the shopkeeper just assumed Baz was following his gaze, though really Baz was looking at rocks. Did they need to kill this man to keep him quiet? Rocks lowered his brows, folding his arms as if to chastise him. Scribes help him. When a harbor's moral compass is straighter than your own, it's really time to have your head examined. It had to be Deliritus's cloak infecting Baz with the same stupidity that often plagued the Torchsire heir. Taking a moment to compose his face, Baz settled the new-to-him hat on his head, running his hand from one side of the brim to the other 
to make certain it was actually there. Then he sighed and turned back to the shopkeeper. How much was she offering you for the information? All right. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is March 23rd, 2022, as I record this, and this is episode number 11. We're into double digits here now. Chugging along. All right, so I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, this week's reading. Uh, geez, what chapter was it? I've uh, forgotten already here. Chapter 13, right? So, I didn't even write that in my notes. I'm just not very organized here today. Right, okay, uh, on the personal side of things here, not a ton to report. I do appreciate all the kind words uh, from those of you who reached out about my home repair woes. I know I posted a couple photos of those in the newsletter last week. Never a fun time, especially when you come back from vacation <laughs> to to a unfortunate surprise like that. But uh, we're dealing with it. Uh, over here at the uh, the Kane household, um, you know, the contractors have finally dried everything out. At least the giant dehumidifiers have made uh, their exit. Couldn't have come soon enough. We were living in a living in a jet engine here for like a week, like I mentioned <laughs> last week. Um, my wife and I were finally able to sleep in our bedroom for the first time in over a week uh, earlier earlier this week. So that was. That was a relief. Air mattresses are not a uh, not a good recipe for uh, 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 you know good sleep or good relationships. <laughs> so it's nice to nice to be back uh, on a real bed. Uh, this did actually turn out to be a little bit of a blessing. Um, you know, the leak started on the second floor. Around we have like a wall built around an old chimney. Our house is over a hundred years old, uh, and the leak started up there and went down to the first floor. And when they knocked down one of the walls on the first floor, they discovered that uh, the exhaust pipe to our furnace wasn't sealed properly, which can, of course, lead to uh, gas leaks. So uh, actually pretty glad they knocked that wall down, so we were able to find that and uh, repair that as well. Um, so, you know, look for the positive in uh, in all things out there, folks. Um, we're just waiting now for the walls to be put back up. We've got a bunch of uh, exposed studs, got a open concept. We really... Uh, I like open concepts, but not the not the kind that involves uh, you know walls falling over that uh, aren't supposed to be falling over. So uh, I'm sure we'll have another round of contractors here uh, next week putting all the drywall back up. So that'll be that'll be a joy. But that's enough about my my homeowner woes here for the day. Uh, on the writing front, uh, Declaimer's Discovery now in the hands of my advanced readers. Thanks of thanks to all of you out there who joined the advanced reading team uh and if anyone listening is uh, still interested we've got a few open slots left um so uh shoot me an email dtkane at dtkane if you would like to join uh if you join you get all of my books for free uh in perpetuity um before they come out and in exchange all you need to do is read them before they come out and uh post a review on release day, uh, kind of help give the book a little initial boost. People don't like buying books that have uh, zero or few reviews, so uh, the more reviews 
uh, we can get on the books, the better, especially book one, because that's what sucks everyone in, right? So, you know, all of you out there, uh, you know, listening to the podcast, you're probably all qualified to review book one as well. So uh, if you want to hop over to uh, wherever you purchase books and drop a uh, quick review on uh, the Actus Trials page, uh, that would be greatly appreciated, and it would help me out a lot. <coughs> Thanks. Uh, and uh, just another reminder, Declaimers of Discovery, which is part two of the Spoken Books Uprising. That releases, uh, geez, just in like three weeks now, on April 15th, right around the corner. So exciting things happening uh, over in the, the D.T. Kane media empire, as I like to, <laughs> as I, as I like to call it here, slowly slowly building it up one brick at a time. All right, on to our analysis of this week's reading, chapter 13. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just like doubting myself here that it was actually chapter 13. So let's just make sure here. Chapter 13. Um, right, yes, 13. Okay, <clears throat> so... Uh, Going to start out with The Plan, In the Interest of Keeping Deliritus Safe. That's the title of this section of the analysis. So we left off last week with Baz offering to complete the Actus Trials for Deliritus. Remember, he's got the broken leg, so he can't go on. Um, incidentally, quick aside here, did any of you catch uh, that Baz quipped about Deliritus breaking his leg back in Chapter 7? Uh, a little bit of innocent <laughs> for foreshadowing there. I um, I think I added that back in um, in a subsequent draft. <laughs> I think I had Baz saying some sort of sarcastic thing there in chapter seven. I was like, oh well, we'll, <laughs> we'll put the broken leg <laughs> thing in here uh, just because that actually does happen. So uh, there you go, a little Easter egg for those of you paying real uh, real close attention. Uh, so why is Baz willing to make this deal? You know, he's been so down on this whole journey. You know, obviously he is not really interested <laughs> in completing the Axis trials. Uh, you know, but obviously there is a uh, a quid pro quo here. You know, I'll complete the trials for you, Deliritus, if if you promise not to blow me in. Uh, you know, keep my secret that I know how to read. Um, you know, and as Baz says, you know, as, as horrified as Deliritus is of Baz's ability, I mean, I think... Yeah, he says this in his chapter. I mean, he could be executed, he says, for concealing a cuss, um, which, I, you know, he said that back in uh, back in Chapter 3, too, before they uh, they took Tax's eyes. So that's certainly the case. That's not an exaggeration here. Um, the Society of Oration does not tolerate hiding. Hiding a cuss, whether that's because they are afraid of them or the other libraries don't want... Uh, a competitor to have such a powerful asset in their hands. A little unclear, maybe a little of both. I'm sure if uh, you asked anyone publicly, they would say the former. Uh, but you have to wonder if uh, the latter is a uh, an unspoken motivation of the libraries uh, for that rule. Because we've certainly seen they, you know, maybe they're not the most <laughs> they're not the most noble of folks in uh, in erstwhile the readers are. So. You got to think maybe there's a little a uh, little corruption going on there, um, but right. But so the one thing that Leertis is more scared of than a literate speaker, <laughs> you know, a speaker who can read, uh, is letting his father down. 
uh, you know, and Baz actually says, you know, he, he feels a little bad about capitalizing on that, right? Grungy, right? Grungy is the term Baz, is, Baz uses for it. You know, after all, you know, Baz has a family member and his brother that he wouldn't like to let down, and I'm sure Baz wouldn't like uh, someone taking advantage of that relationship the way Baz is taking advantage of Deliritus' relationship with his father. So it's kind of, oh, kind of interesting here. Baz and Deliritus are sort of serving as foils for one another, uh, even though they're in such radically uh, different positions. So something to keep an eye out. That's not the last time we are going to see that kind of uh, give and take between the two of them. <clears throat> right. So um, so what are the features of this plan that, that Baz proposes? You know, they're kind of scattered throughout the chapter. I've kind of you know, compiled them here in list form, so we'll go through them. So, so number one, and this is interesting, Baz gets to use rocks, right? He had to transfer his oath to me uh, for the duration of the trials. Um, and interesting, Deliritus has that right. You know, he can transfer, transfer. Maybe this will be the the thumbnail for the YouTube video. Um, you know, sort of a reminder here that rocks is property too. Um, you know, we haven't really necessarily thought of him quite like that, like the way. You know, obviously all the speakers are slaves. They're considered property. Um, but Rox is too. The Deliritus can send him off as he pleases. <clears throat> um, but it's interesting too that Rox says he uh, he, uh, he uh, dislikes the idea of leaving Deliritus' side. Um, so, you know, maybe an indication... Rox doesn't just view his responsibility for Deliritus as, uh, as a simple duty. You know, uh, maybe there's a little bit of, uh, caring for Deliritus going on in Rox's head, uh, as well. Uh, that said, though, Deliritus does see that, you know, Baz... <laughs> Baz is gonna need some help, so, uh, he's like, well, okay, you need to find a safe place to leave me, and then I'll, uh, then I'll let you take Rox. So that's, uh, step number two here, you know, we see uh, how much of a hard time Deliritus has riding with the broken leg. You know, I think he, he turns gray, right, and then green. Uh, you know, he's vomiting, almost falling off the horse. Rox is, like, riding right beside him, kind of spotting him. So, um, so obviously, they had to leave him somewhere. He's not going to be able to come, come on the trials. You know, it's a long journey to Tome. Uh, but remember, you know, no one can know that Deliritus isn't the one completing the trials, right? You know, imagine how embarrassing it would be if uh, it came out that a speaker completed the trials for him. So how are they going to handle that? Well, they're going to switch places. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed writing this sequence. I think it's a little, it's it's a bit comical. Uh, we kind of got both Baz and Deliritus lamenting over having to pre pretend to be one another. You know, Baz has got... Uh, Deliritus's uh, cloak on. You know he's upset about having to give away the present Liana gave him. Uh, you know Deliritus's cloak doesn't even have a hood. Ah, <laughs> he's finding everything to complain about. Uh, you know we get some more. Uh, actually, right almost immediately here we get another another kind of example of how they're foiling one another. Uh, where they're kind of you know Baz is thinking about oh well it'll be simple to impersonate Deliritus, uh, but he's the one I'm worried about, and then. <laughs> Deliritus says aloud in like the next paragraph, you know, well, it's not going to be very hard to, to imitate you, Baz. You know, Baz says, well, I, so Baz about being like Deliritus, well, I'll just, I'll just act clueless and treat everyone uh, I meet as if they're below me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what Baz thinks it takes to be Deliritus. And Deliritus is like, well, 
to be you bads. I just need to glower at everything and act as if I know more than I ought to. <laughs> so we uh, we see the opinions they have of one another uh, coming coming out here for sure. Um, but there's another problem with the plan here, right? If Deliritus is going to pretend to be a speaker, well, he doesn't have a brand. Um, so that's going to be a dead giveaway. Though, interesting note here, Deliritus says something about this progressive movement in the city of Fortune, uh, where some readers are no longer branding their speakers. Uh, so, um, hmm. Uh, so some of the readers treat their speakers maybe better than the ones do in erstwhile. Um, interesting. That's going to be, that's not really relevant here. We're not going to fortune, uh, in this book, but, um, we will, uh, be going there in a subsequent book. In fact, the next book, Declaimer's Discovery. So file that away for now, but, um, we're going to see what it's like in the city of fortune once we finish up the Actus Trials here. So Stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, Baz notes, you know, the, the people in Hamlet, which is that this is the little town, really. It's more like a, a decrepit village, right, that they're going to. Uh, they're going to know that a speaker ought to be branded because erstwhile sends speakers and readers there every year to kind of serve the townsfolk. Remember, you know, the 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 illits are really dependent on uh, the speakers to cast spells for them to do even kind of like common things like simple home repairs. So, uh Erstwhile sends their speakers out there, readers and speakers out there occasionally. So they're going to know what a speaker is supposed to look like. <laughs> and so what does Baz do? Well, it's like, well, Rox, I think uh, I think this is in the interest of keeping uh, Deliritus safe here. Kind of like a hint, hint, nod, nod towards Deliritus's forehead. <laughs> Rox grabs Deliritus and kind of like scratches up his head with his knife. <laughs> so <laughs> another kind of, uh, you know, Baz is... Uh, Kind of a little cruel practical joke here. I don't even know if it's a practical joke, but, uh, uh, you know, a little uh, humor at Deliritus' expense here. Uh, anyway, yeah, frankly, probably necessary for this plan to work, right? But kind of just the way it was executed, um, you know, a little bit funny here. And interesting, too, that uh, Rox was so quick <laughs> to agree with Baz. Um, and, of course, you uh, I don't know if I was doing too much telling instead of showing here with this, but I do just, you know, expressly point this out. There is a hole in Baz's plan too, right? You know, so if he goes to Tome, finds a book, um, and comes back, well, he's going to have to give that book to Deliritus at some point, right? You know, Baz is a speaker. He can't be walking around with a book. And once he gives it away, well, where is, you know, Baz doesn't have any security, uh, right? He's like a He's like a bank that didn't, uh, you know, file their security interest, uh, <laughs> you know, in the uh, the home they gave the mortgage on. Uh, there's going to be no way for him to hold Deliritus uh, to his promise at that point. And Baz is, Baz is smart enough to realize that, but he's also smart enough to realize, well, uh, an unlikely number of things would need to go right before Baz needed to expend any energy at all worrying over that. So Baz is like, well... Maybe this plan is not perfect, but, you know, <laughs> one step at a time. You know, I've got to get all the way to Tome and find a book and, you know, stay alive first. So, but um, I'm sure, as all of you can imagine, uh, that problem's going to rear its head again here at some point. <laughs> so uh, add that to the file. I know we've got a lot of things tucked away in the file for, for later review, and that's, a, that's another one. But uh, we'll come back to that later. All right, and now uh, the big reveal <laughs> we've all been waiting for. Uh, 
I told you there was going to be a big, uh, a big scene here uh, last week in your homework assignment. What exactly did I say? Uh, we'll get to a town, and uh, there's a big moment in the town, a reveal of epic proportions. And what is it? Well, I'm looking for a hat, good shopkeeper. The hat, you noticed I'm wearing it. I usually don't wear it during the analysis section, but today is a special occasion the the revelation of why I'm wearing the hat when I'm doing the narration it's because uh, this is going to become Baz's signature uh, signature symbol here right he's got his hat and let me tell you he is not going to give this thing up <laughs> once he gets it so uh, I think all the way back in our first or second episode someone asked about the hat so now uh, now you guys know um, sorry I'm probably getting way too excited about the uh, about the hat here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, a little aside, I've always wanted a hat like this, and my wife thinks they look foolish. <laughs> so I finally found a good excuse to buy one and uh, starting the podcast. Well, it's it's a prop. It's marketing, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Kane. Uh, that's why I'm getting it now. So so there you go, the hat. I'm going to keep it on here for the rest of the episode. Uh, all right, so we arrive in Hamlet. Delirtus is pouting <laughs> uh, since Baz just convinced Rox to slice of his forehead. Uh, and Hamlet's kind of a dump, right? Dilapidated buildings, a uh, few muddy paths for streets. Kind of sounds like it was a much uh, a much bigger bustling hub at one point, back when Tome was still the country's capital. Uh, I should grab a, a map here and, and put it on the screen for the episode this week. I should just get a printout so I can hold it up to the camera. But... Um, <clears throat> Anyway, for now, uh, if you've got a physical copy, you can thumb to the map there. Though I know in the physical copy, the map isn't that clear. If you go over to dtkane.com slash resources, you can pull up a nice high-definition version of the map there. But you'll kind of see, uh, you know, Hamlet's a kind of a fork in the road. <clears throat> you go west, you can take the road up to Tome from there. Or you can go north and then west through the Emerald Woods and also get to Tome, or the City of Enigma. So Hamlet was kind of like this waypoint, um, but now since Tome is a a ruin, there's little reason for people to go there except the occasional trip up to Enigma, though it is very cold up there in the mountains, so Baz tells us people don't go there very often. Um, so right, so we're in this dilapidated village, uh, and Baz stops them at a shop, Rox goes in with him. Deliritus waits outside. Remember, Baz is pretending to be a reader here, right? So he's got to keep up appearances. That's why the harbor uh, comes with him. Uh, you know, and Baz is uh, being a little bit dramatic uh, here. Fair shopkeeper, it is I, Deliritus Torch Sire, reader of erstwhile, come to grace your shop with my presence. <laughs> Uh, shopkeeper not really impressed. Um, in fact, we learned he we learn he was recently swindled by another reader, so he's kind of salty about having one uh, in his shop. Um, you know, Bass kind of feels like an idiot, uh, expecting special treatment just because he's acting uh, like a reader. You know, remember Baz is always sarcastic about readers in his head, and now <laughs> he's kind of the imitating what he's always despised so he kind of feels like an uh, an idiot to the shopkeeper puts him in his place here uh, and then we get to the big reveal like i said uh you know why uh you know why did baz come to the shop you know baz is looking for a hat he needed to conceal the brand on his forehead but you know also 
We've seen Baz complain several times about how cold his head gets. Why can't I just wear a hat? You know, so he's maybe taking advantage a little uh, here of the situation. I'm going to get myself a hat here. <laughs> he's got a good excuse now. Um, you know, and the shopkeeper does have one, right? It was dark brown leather, creased and well-worn with a wide brim. The hat, here it is. <laughs> of course, uh, Baz is very excited. He is not very, uh, he doesn't have much of a poker face here, and the shopkeeper tries uh, to rip him off. Baz doesn't really have much of a concept of money here either, right? You know, I've never had any of my own, <laughs> so, um, plus it's not his money anyway, right? But Rox catches the shopkeeper in a lie, in the lie, you know. Lies, <laughs> you know, um, but you know, Baz, Baz is like, well, give him the money anyway. Uh, you know, that'll be recompense for the previous treatment he had. And Rox, uh, you know, interestingly, Rox agrees, even though this is Delirius's money. You know, he uh, he sees truth uh, in what Baz is doing. Uh, you know, it matches up with uh, Rox's moral code here of uh, you know not telling lies. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Rox, um, you know, Rox can be a vicious, uh, a kind of a vicious beast at some points, but he has this code, um, and, uh, you know, he sticks to it. You know, maybe his morals don't quite match up with those of uh, other folks, but he at least sticks to his own guns, um, for sure. Um, and this actually, uh, this kind of is an important moment here, right? You know, Baz's act of kindness here turns out to be pretty helpful. The shopkeeper wasn't going to say anything to him, but after Baz gives him the extra money, he reveals that uh, Marla and Hellar were in the shop asking around about a lost torch sire speaker. <laughs> and the shopkeeper, you know, he glances outside and he sees Deliritus out there who is supposedly Baz's Speaker, remember we got the role reversal going on here, and Bass kind of Bass kind of realizes he's in a sticky situation here, and it gets stickier when the shopkeeper is like, "Well, you know, this female speaker, she was uh, uh she was asking around uh, for information, and she was offering good coin, and she said she'd be back in a month to see if anyone had seen <laughs> anything." So, uh, kind of a pickle here. Bass actually briefly thinks of, you know, are we gonna have to kill this guy to keep our secret? quiet and then uh so how interesting is this he looks to rocks and rocks you know kind of gives him the stern cross-armed look you know we're not gonna kill anyone here <laughs> you know Vaz says something like jeez you know when your moral compass is uh <laughs> set by a harbor you know you've got a problem um so it, it's kind of interesting here in some ways we're seeing maybe rocks is the most moral of our uh, trio of of main characters here um so, you know, instead, Baz turns back to the shopkeeper, you know, how much was Marla offering you for the information? So obviously he's going to <clears throat> try to outbid her here to keep the shopkeeper quiet. Uh, but there's 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 an obvious issue here that this is raising, right? Uh, probably going to have some impact on the plan they have come up with. Um, but we're not going to get into that until next week. So you will have to tune back into the next episode for that uh okay just a couple miscellaneous points here uh get another note um you know delirtus at one point he's kind of quizzing baz on why he's helping you know baz at one point kind of you know he's like you know fiddling around with his stick and he like throws it down are you trying to talk me out of this delirtus and delirtus is like no i'm just uh 
just trying to figure it out. You know, I've been taught that cusses are, are dangerous and, uh, you know, a big problem, but I've, I've met two in my life and, you know, you're helping me. You're the one cuss. And then the other one I spent 10 years uh, having regrets about. <laughs> so, you know, just, you know, and Baz, this is like another squirmy moment for Baz, right? Um, because just another kind of instance here of suggesting, you know, Deliritus isn't just this self-entitled uh, rich kid, right? You know, he has a, you know, there's a person under that giant hat, like we said a couple weeks ago. So uh, continuing to develop, uh, see the see the change both in uh, Deliritus' character and the uh, snail-like sp- the snail pace change of Baz's opinion of him as well. Baz certainly is nowhere close to uh, admitting Deliritus is a good person, but uh, the doubt slowly creeping in. Um, and then just another quick note here, just another quick kind of quick kind of uh, aside here. But you know, Baz mentions there are stories of men going mad from using shadow spells. Remember, Baz cast that shadow spell to save Deliritus last week and he heard these voices in his head um before he finished casting it you know he's wondering you know is that were those me going mad um we don't know but again just kind of a reminder that this is an issue that's out there and uh uh we're gonna see how it's uh resolved here over the course <clears throat> of the novel know very little about it so far but uh store that away in your file <clears throat> as well of course of course, Baz can never be serious. You know, am I going mad? You know, I, I have agreed to help Deliritus. <laughs> so I must be mad if I've agreed to that. Uh, all right, so there's our analysis <clears throat> for this week. Uh, homework assignment for next week. Uh, we'll be reading chapters 14 and 15. So we've got a, another two-chapter week ahead of us. Uh, we will see plans change and relationships grow. And then our characters will run into yet another problem. And geez, what could <laughs> what could that be? You know, we've already they've already had so many. But uh, that's uh, that's storytelling, right? You know, what does your character want, and uh, how many things can you, how many obstacles can you put in his way? <laughs> so we'll see another obstacle, at least one more obstacle next week, maybe maybe more than one. Uh, okay, uh, this week's quest. Um, make sure to send your answers in to dtkane at dtkane.com. This week, I am interested to hear if anyone has any thoughts on what my inspiration for Rox was. A few different spots. Uh, I will say he's a blend of uh, at least two characters from uh, relatively well-known fantasy works. Um, So send me your thoughts on that, and we uh, we can discuss them next week at the end of the episode. Uh, all right, drawing to a close here. Going to close with our quote, as we always do. And this week, I thought I would read a couple quick lines from uh, one of the Wheel of Time novels. This is book four, The Shadow Rising by uh, the incomparable Robert Jordan. Once again, I believe we had a quote from him a few weeks ago. And this is the part of the book where... Uh, Matt gets his hat for the first time, which, I'll be honest, Matt's hat is a influence for the hat here that Baz has. So just bear with me a moment here. 
Um, I'm just I have for those of you not watching, I just have the uh, I have the book here in physical form. I'm just reading right out of it. Um, a heavy man in a pale gray coat and dark, wide-brimmed hat climbed down from the back of the lead wagon and stood watching, now and then taking off his flat-crowned hat to wipe his forehead with a large white handkerchief. And that description is important because just a few pages later, Matt buys that hat off of him, or at least uh, the woman with the man snatches it off of his head when Matt says he wants a hat. <laughs> Uh, and if the hat kept Matt's head from boiling, it really was worth the price, so far as he was concerned. And for a wonder, it fit. And if it was no cooler under that wide brim, at least it was blessedly shady. The kerchief went back, went into his coat pocket. So there you go. Um, those are pages 588 and 592 in uh, this edition the soft cover with the original artwork of Shadow Rising. Um, <clears throat> like I said, uh, Matt's hat, definitely some inspiration for Baz's hat here. And frankly, Matt's character in general in The Wheel of Time certainly supplies <laughs> some inspiration for uh, for when I'm writing Baz as well. Matt's one of my favorite characters uh, in all of fantasy, so definitely channeling a little... Robert Jordan in my in my own writing here. So uh, that's all for this week. Hope everyone enjoyed. I certainly uh, enjoyed my time with you, as I always do, and uh, I'm looking forward to chapters 14 and 15 next week. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.